Let's test your audio and name five of your favorite Indian spices. How's that? Garam masala, chaat masala, kasuri methi or fenugreek leaves, mustard seeds, cumin seeds. Only five, really? Perfect. I mean, yeah, you're like, I can name 45. Hey, everyone. I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. This is a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you listened before, we're glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or possibly do some good today as these chefs inspire us. And we're grateful to our partners who make this podcast a reality. With that... All right, let's go. Ad read time. All right. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's is an all-American family-owned and operated company founded in 1955 and headquartered in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. They are the number one potato roll in America, and as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. Martin's has been setting the gold standard for potato rolls since their famous sandwich potato rolls first hit farmer's markets and later on in grocery stores. They're the rolls that have helped many chefs and restaurants win top honors in burger contests all over the country. Speaking of burger contests, Cappy, you've got something fun for us today, huh? Oh, do I ever. (laughs) What do you got? I'm going to try and keep this short, but you're going to want to stay tuned for later on this episode because we're doing a mini interview within the interview, if you will. I was recently at the Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival's Burger Bash event. And while there's about, I don't know, 20 to 30 different chefs and restaurants and burgers there, I had a favorite or top three, I'll call it. It was a place called Ted's Burgers. It's a pop-up in Miami and they actually won the Judge's Choice Burger. So I wound up catching up with Ted during the event live on the beach in a big walk-in cooler refrigerator literally. So again, you're going to want to stay tuned for later on in this episode, and you'll hear from Ted himself, from Ted's Burgers, and more on his Oklahoma fried onion burger. If you want to learn more about Martin's and check out some of their great recipes, go to potatorolls.com and follow them on social media at Potato Rolls. Martin's, we thank you. One more thing. We have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch, which you can find a link to in your podcast player or at beyondtheplatemerch.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, and hoodies. Again, that's beyondtheplatemerch.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Today's guest is an award-winning chef, author, TV personality, mother, and founding partner and president of Morph Hospitality Group in Nashville, Tennessee. She was born in Punjab, India, where she worked in some of the finest hotels before coming to the U.S. She worked in New York City, Chicago, where I am right now, before setting up shop with her husband in Nashville, where they currently have Chohan Ale and Masala House, Tanso, The Mockingbird, Chat Table, and Hop Springs. She's authored two cookbooks, won a James Beard Foundation Broadcast Media Award in 2012 for her role as a permanent judge on Food Network's Chopped and has competed and won Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions, my producer's favorite show, where she donated her winnings of $40,000 to help different restaurants survive the pandemic. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with someone who says a woman's place is in the kitchen, Chef Manit Chohan. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Tell me more. About how much I was looking forward to having this conversation. I can't, (laughs) with bated breath, I've been waiting for when you'll invite me. (laughs) 
<laughs> a woman's place is in the kitchen. I loved hearing you say that, by the way. And I loved your point of view on that. I mean, if you think about it, right, like growing up, especially I grew up in India and the kitchen used to be mom's domain are, you know, all the aunties and my grandmoms, like you would only see women in the kitchen. And when I decided I wanted to be a chef, I was told that, no, that is not a place for a woman. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course, the kitchen is the perfect place for a woman and a professional kitchen. And I, I seriously believe that we women are wired in such a way that we can multitask. And that really is very helpful in the kitchen. Yeah. What was little Manit like? Take us back to India your childhood? Little Manith was uh, a pain, which every day I call up my parents and apologize for a brat I used to be. But I literally, I grew up in this really small town in eastern India called Ranchi. And my dad was an engineer, my mom a school teacher. So we grew up in a professional community where there were people from all over India. So we were from a Punjabi household, which is Northern India. Our neighbors were from Southern India or Eastern India, Western India. Now, the fun part about Indian cuisine is that each and every region has a very distinct cuisine of its own. So I would finish dinner at home, go over to my neighbor's houses, tell them that my parents hadn't fed me. So can I eat with you guys? And that's how an entire new world of flavors was introduced to me. And I think very early on, I also realized that food was one of the best communicators. Like one of my neighbors, she didn't speak English or Hindi. She spoke Telugu. I couldn't speak Telugu. But we got along famously because the conversation was food. And I think that is something which I love about being in the food industry. The ease of conversation, the barriers which are broken just by talking about food. Did mom or dad cook? Both. both. My mom, she used to cook most of the savory dishes. My dad on weekends would, I still remember, he would stand in front of those electric heaters those old school electric heaters and just stand with a book and keep on reducing the milk so that he could make ice creams. And then next morning, he would wake us up early in the morning. He'd be like, not on a Saturday. And he would, because we didn't have a churner. So he would set the ice cream in those ice cream trays and the next morning cut it into small pieces. And my sister, mom and I would hold the container in which the ice cream was there. And with a ladle, he would be making Mixing it so that it would be nice and creamy. And it was all timed because if we didn't do it till seven o'clock, we would not be able to have ice cream for brunch. So very meticulous that way. I love that. And did you help them cook when you were young? Yes, I did. Were you in the kitchen? I was in the kitchen almost all the time. I remember when I was le leaving for undergrad, my dad is like, so who's going to feed me now? And my mom is like, I'll tell you who'll feed you. <laughs> That's so funny. I love that. So when did you start to take like the whole food thing seriously? I always loved cooking. And I think around maybe in the 10th grade, that was the time everybody was having conversations about, I want to be a doctor, I want to be an engineer. Those were the obvious careers. And over here, I'm like, I want to be a chef. And one thing that I feel very blessed about is that my parents always told me, do whatever you want, just make sure that you're the best at it. So there was no place for mediocrity. And that is a mantra that I hold close to my heart still. Like if I do something, it'll have 150% of me or nothing of me. So that really worked. 
I love that. And so then you wound up going to school for hotel management in yes. India, right? So in India, we didn't have culinary schools per se. So if you wanted to be a chef, you did hotel administration or hotel management. And then once you started working, then you could choose whichever vocation you wanted to be in the front, wanted to be in the back. It was your choice. So that's how I started. What did you learn there that you still use today in your everyday work? You know, when I started hotel uh, management over there, I was like, why do I have to learn math? Why do I have to learn marketing? Why do I have to learn law? Why do I have to learn housekeeping? Why do I have to learn front office? Like everything we had to do. And at that time, I was like, all I want to do is cook. Now, as a restaurant owner, everything that was taught is so valuable because you realize that running a business is not about cooking, right? You have to cook good food, but it is everything that goes around it. It's law, it's marketing, it's sweeping the floors, right? You need to to tell your team how to, if you want it to be swept properly, you've got to show them how to do it. And those are the things at that time, we're like, oh, what are we learning? And now it's so valuable. So my producer, Sean, who loves you and loves watching you, he says, I feel like there's this twinkle in her eye that she's like a little mischievous. He's like, I could be wrong, but he's curious. Were you like the perfect student? Like, did you or did you break rules when you were there? Let's say that till the 12th grade, I hated studying. So I barely scraped through each and every class. And as soon as I joined hotel management, I aced each and every class. But that being said, I was definitely not a bookworm. I was involved in everything. But the reason why I was acing was because I was loving doing what I was doing. We had Manipal where we went, did our undergrad. We had the most epic college days, everything that college should be about. And that's what it was. And so then you go to CIA, which by the way, I think we we were there at close to this like same time. Which year were you there? I started in 2000 and then I, I graduated on April 14th, 2000. How funny. Oh, we probably like, we may have missed each other by like a block or oh something like that. Wow. That's really funny. And that's how I felt about CIA. Like I was never like a bookworm or anything, but going there, I did so well by barely studying because I loved doing it. Yeah. And so you graduated like top of your class there at CIA, right? Yes. Wait, but is this true? No one would sponsor your visa yep. after you graduated? Yep. How did that feel? Oh my God. Uh, I was like graduating. I graduated from the best school in India, the best school in the world, the culinary school in the world. I thought that the world was my oyster. Here I have arrived. And I wanted to do everything that, you know, classmates were planning. I wanted to travel. I wanted to stage. I wanted to do so much, get a mentor who would help shape my career. And I would go on all of these job interviews and they would be like, yeah, we would love to hire you. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, you'll have to sponsor my paperwork. And they would be like, huh? I'm like, you know what? I'll take care of even paying for it. And I just couldn't, which I think in hindsight, at that time, I was like completely crushed because I'm like, this is not the plan. But in hindsight, I think everything happens for a reason till that point. I was a baking and pastry student because in India, baking and pastries hadn't reached the level that they are over here. So I never wanted to do culinary because I had done culinary when I was doing my undergrad. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to uh, be this pastry chef, make all of these cakes. That was the idea. And when this happened, when I couldn't get anybody to sponsor my paperwork, my uncle and aunt, they were opening an Indian restaurant close to Philadelphia. 
And they were like, listen, we're looking for somebody. If you're interested, you know, we will be happy to sponsor your paperwork. And it was so interesting because I started off with, I'm like, who wants to cook Indian food? Like, because it was so pedestrian, right? But that was incredible because I think that put me on the track of realizing first how woefully and badly Indian food is represented or was represented in this country. And secondly, I could do something about it. And that's how the whole, the journey of trying to be a spokesperson for the beautiful cuisine of India, that's how it started. I feel like it's so embedded in like the UK, like Indian cuisine, but not, I mean, you can find it obviously here in a ton of places, but I feel like it's just like not in the culture as much here. I think a lot of it has to do with history because England colonized India for centuries. So there was definitely that cross-migration of flavors and people would come in and they would get used to those curry flavors, right? Also, I think a lot of it has to do with Indian cuisine is very young in America. And the people who started the previous generation of Indian restaurants, they started it more as a means to an end. When they came here, that was the skill they had. That is what they did to earn money to sustain their family. So it really wasn't a passion. So I do think that now the newer generation of Indian chefs, me included, we are pushing ourselves because this is our passion. We want to show how beautiful Indian food is. So that's why I think once we start doing that, the ingredients start becoming better. The techniques start becoming a lot, you know, refined. And people taste that and see that. I think we're getting there getting there. Yeah, I love it. So you went to Philly. How long were you there? And then I'm curious, was like the Vermilion days after that? The Vermilion days were after that. I was in Philly till around 2003, 2004. And then I went to Chicago, uh, worked at Vermilion for some time, worked in Vermilion, New York for some time. And you're like being a little humble because you're like, oh, I went to Chicago and worked at Vermilion. But is it true you beat out 40 other chefs for that job? So they say. I didn't see any of them. That was what was said. It is. Uh, it could be an urban legend. Who knows? <laughs> Even if it was 20, I'll, like that's still great. Do you remember how you reacted when you like first heard you got that job? I think it was just, a, it was really funny. I do remember I was coming back from an Indian wedding. My cousin had gotten married in LA and I had completely lost my voice because Indian weddings are boisterous and then some. And we were like just partying that it was a big fat Indian wedding. And when I came back and I was, you know, I went for my interview, my entire conversation was like a hot cup of tea. I'm like, yes, now, yes. So I used to joke that maybe they thought that I was really soft-spoken. That's why they, they hired me. And then, of course, little did they know. I'm like, Anna, move it! Okay, so let's just say, let's just say that you beat out 40 other chefs for that job. Why do you think you got that job? Like, what made you stand out? I, I do think it was a, a, a grasp of flavors and also the concept was a Latin and Indian fusion. I mean, it was definitely not my concept, but I did my homework. I figured out what tapas are. I did my homework. And I think in the end of the day, that's the one thing that I tell everybody. If you show up somewhere, do your homework, right? Just don't, just don't show up. And I think that is very important. Huge. Great piece of advice. Hey, everybody, pardon the interruption, but going to take a quick break while we step inside a big walk-in cooler, a refrigerator. As you heard at the beginning of this episode, I was recently at the Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival's Burger Bash event. 
And I was super pumped about a lot of the burgers there, but this one in particular, Ted's Burgers, it's actually a pop-up out of Miami, out of South Florida area. And I was talking to Ted to learn more about his burger and decided to pull out my microphone and hit record. And guess what bun he was using? Back to that fridge comment, yes, we were literally standing in a refrigerator talking, as one does at a food festival, and the compressor obviously kicked on. So apologies for the not so perfect audio, but not even a compressor will stop us from hearing about our friends and Martin's famous potato rolls and all of the incredible chefs that also love their products as much as we do. You can find out more on Ted's and where they're popping up by checking them out on Instagram at Ted's underscore burgers. Here's Ted Armas from Ted's Burgers in South Florida in a refrigerator. Uh, hi, my name is Ted Armas. I am the owner of uh, Ted's Burgers here in South Florida, founded in... 2019 and we started in Palm Bay, Florida. Started in the garage. Well, started off with my family actually. And then from there on off, mentioned out to the garage as every great story. And from there on out, we went to an O'Reilly's parking lot and it took off from there. Just went to the moon. So what burger did you make tonight for the burger restaurant? So tonight we did our rendition of an Oklahoma fried onion burger, which is a double smash patty, American cheese, sliced, thinly sliced sweet onions, and then it's topped on a modern potato roll with a special tea sauce, by wow. far. Talk to me about a martin's roll. I, I, I have no words for it. It's phenomenal. It's by far like one of the best, if not the best buns you could find, by far, for a burger. Wow. The, the combination of just the, the fluffiness and then you have a little bit of sweetness hint, hint right behind it is by far literally one of the best buns you can find. If you want to learn more about Martin's and check out some of their great recipes, go to potatorolls.com and follow them on social media at Potato Rolls. Martins, we thank you. I'm also hungry. So after you did Vermilion, Chicago and New York? And New York, From yes. Chicago to New York, okay. And then Nashville was after New York. So yeah, this was in... Hopefully I did my homework. 2011. This was in 2011. My daughter was born and I'm like, okay, I now want to work towards entrepreneurial aspects of my life. I want to own something. So it was really interesting because Chopped had really taken off at that time. And people had started approaching me from... The obvious food cities, San Francisco, LA, you know, the, the obvious big ones. And in between, I get a call from Nashville and my husband and I, we both look at each other and we're like, who the beep goes to Nashville? And at that time, Nashville really wasn't the cool city that it is right now. Right. So how was the food scene there at that time? It had just started emerging. And the interesting part was that we are the kind of people who will explore each and every option that comes our way each and every option. So we flew down to Nashville. And what we loved about Nashville was the opportunity that the city afforded us. So because Vivek had restaurants in New York, the plan was to open something over here and then commute from New York, almost like a, a management deal. That being said, the six-month project took two years. Along the way, we found out we were expecting baby number two, Long story short, the day we opened the restaurant, November 18, 2014, our son decided to be born three months early at 26 weeks. So he was born at five o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the evening, we opened the restaurant. Oh my he God. was in the NICU for three months and we are like, okay, 
If he is so adamant on being a Nashvilleian, who are we to stop it? So we went to New York, wrapped up our house, moved over here, named our son Karma because you need some sense of humor when it comes to this. For real. And uh, yeah, we got him home on February 13th. And I always say that's the best Valentine's Day gift I've ever gotten. And uh, yeah, he's going to be eight soon. So we always joke that we had twins on November 18th. And then we decided, we're like, okay, now this is what has been dealt to us. How do we make the best of this? So within the first four years of being over here, we opened four restaurants. We opened a small brewery, Mantra, which then we expanded to Hop Springs, which is on 83 acres of land and houses three breweries. So I think we did okay. I have so many like directions and questions I want to go and I don't know where to go. Like I want to, I'm like so curious, like how long did it take for you to finally get to the restaurant that opened the day you gave birth to a human? I was in the hospital for seven days because it was a major surgery. On day eight, I was at the restaurant. As soon as they let me out, I was at the restaurant. Initially, I used to just set up. I would just tell them to get a table and a chair and I would sit. And slowly as I started, my mobility became a little bit more. We had a three-year-old and my sister is in Chicago. My mom flew down from India to Chicago. My sister was here. She showed up the morning after everything happened and she took my daughter with her. My mom came to Chicago I, I because we were living in a hotel. We didn't even have a house over here. So we wanted to concentrate on me healing and we didn't want our daughter to like be worried about what's going on so she hung out with her cousins she had she got pampered by her grandmom and her aunt and stuff and then after around a month or so when I was back to normal my mom she came over and then we looked for a house so it was an interesting experience yeah I'll say like when do you decide or how and when do you decide to open like that second restaurant third restaurant fourth restaurant uh once we once Once Chohan really took off, these opportunities came to us. So Chohan is in in an old building and attached to that was an old nightclub, which the owners were looking at, you know, just getting rid of. So we thought that we'll take that. And it was a huge space and divided into two restaurants. We started looking around for what were the holes in the Nashville food tapestry. And Chinese was one of the things that people would say the most. So we were like, okay. Let's do a Chinese restaurant. And then we met at Vermilion Days. I used to work with this really incredible person who started off as a host and ended up managing the places, Mikey. He is like probably the best managing partner that you can ever have. And over the years, he ended up with his partner, Brian, who is an amazing chef. I've known them forever. I One day I show up on Chopped. And I'm looking at the sheets and it's Brian there. And I'm like, I go to the producer. I'm like, I know him. Like, I just want you to know that I know him. They're like, Manit, we know you. You are the fairest person of it all. So I don't care. So we're like, okay. And I was so sure I was going to lose a couple of friendships over that because I had to critique the dishes and it's chopped. But in the end of the day, he did win. He did a great job. He did win. And towards the end of the day, I'm sitting with Mikey and Brian. I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're doing these underground supper clubs. I'm like, why don't you just come to Nashville? We'll open a restaurant for you. So now they are our partners. And then Chattable was a place which just showed up. One of my friends, one of my chef friends was, we're opening a restaurant. Do you know anything? Or do you know anybody who's interested and we went there and it just spoke to us we're like oh this will be our Indian street concept and 
we had more opportunities but covid happened and we were like thank god we didn't take those opportunities <laughs> thank god wait so you and your husband are business partners yes. how is that a crazy stupid yeah yeah do you guys talk shop like at home we or do, you try do. And, like, shut off we actually do you know it's really interesting because i travel so much because of all the filming etc appearances he's got restaurants in canada so he travels there so we are pretty much like two ships passing in the night we actually have to figure out times to sit down and talk about business because when it's at the dining table then it is q and a time with the kids unless it's something really important we'll talk about work but yeah we have to find slots to do that what three words do you think he would use to describe you uh passionate effervescent and happy and what three words would you use to describe yourself effervescent happy and focused ah i like it and just for the heck of it how about your kids what would they say they would say that they are afraid of me they would say strict fun and ocd when it comes to timing i like that punctual i like it i'm curious how our guests like overcome challenges in their career which you've kind of touched upon a little bit but you've also said embrace strengths and embrace weaknesses which i thought is super cool can you give us an example of like a, a weakness that you've had to come to embrace i think one of my biggest weakness is that i tend to trust people very easily to me everybody starts off as being very nice right no matter what they want from me that always is um that's how i start off as opposed to some other people who are like everybody is bad and then you've got to earn their way into their lives so that that has led to a lot of heartbreaks over the years especially once it comes to businesses and stuff but uh, i think how i've overcome is that i am married i mean like i'm married to vivek and vivek would be like he is no nonsense he's like think about it again why do they want this <laughs> why do they want this from you can you do it are you getting anything in return so i think it's the yin and yang of the relationship really works that's cool and so interesting we marcela valladolid was on the podcast this season too and we were talking about that and trust in people and she was like i think i figured out it takes me 7 years before i let someone into my life i was like Where did that equation come from? And she gave me this whole example of like why it takes her so long to like trust someone and let them in. Oh wow. 7 years I'm like I don't even remember people from 7 years <laughs> back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, I want to be mindful of time, so I want to hit on social impact and giving back and all of the chefs and everybody we have on this podcast uh, gives back in such a huge way. I always like to shine a light on what you all do beyond a plate in your restaurant or on TV or a book or anything. I'm just curious for I know you do a ton to give back. So I'm curious a what motivates you to give back. I'm just going to let you jump in because I know you've done a lot with different organizations. To me, I have a big problem of saying yes and I do say yes especially when it comes to social causes or causes which need help, right? Be it something as big as the World Central Kitchen, I mean, you know, what chef Jose Andres is doing. And I do it at a smaller level because when Nashville was really hit, we were like, okay, let's mobilize let's do what we can to either march of dimes or united cerebral palsy etc i mean a lot of these things are close to my heart and when people ask me it's tough to say no but also i realize how lucky i am to be where i am so if i have a voice if i have a skill it'll be selfish for me not to share that with anyone to me it's also important for the kids to see what i am doing because 
I know that in a way I am raising the next generation of people. And if they do not believe in giving back and if they do not see in front of them, you know, how they can be as generous human beings, then I'm not raising the next generation because we need more kindness in this world. And you see a lot of people who just don't care. And we need to start caring. I think that's what it is. It's important. Can you share a recent moment? Because I feel like there are some where giving back really moved you or like had an impact on you, whether it's through COVID relief or anything. So many. I think one was right after we had to lay off 250 people in March 17th, 2020 is like just etched in our mind. And after I came back to the home, Vivek and I, we drove in silence, which after talking to me, that's huge when I am silent and came back over here, grabbed, uh, made sure that the kids had snacks and stuff, grabbed a bottle of wine, a pillow, got to my closet and just cried. Really? Got that out of my system. I mean, you worked your entire life. I mean, and in this industry, you know, your team becomes your family, right? And after that, we just mobilized. We were like, okay, what's the one thing that we can do? We cannot let our team go hungry. So we started reaching out to distributors. We knew that there was going to be so much of wastage. There was a day that in our parking lot, we had 550 cases of food that showed up. And we were like, guys, just come on in and take whatever you want. We also made sure that we gave some stuff to One Gen Away, which is an organization that makes sure that kids in Middle Tennessee don't go hungry in schools. Then there was Nashville Food Project. We gave like, we're like, okay, in my car, I'm driving like cases and dropping off over there. So I think that was huge. A tournament of champion, that was huge to to be able to have that opportunity to give. I wish that there were more competitions so that I could have one more to give to more restaurants. But that was also a huge reason why I won. Because to me, it was not, I wasn't winning for myself. I was winning for one restaurant to survive. It sounds very small, but even if I can make an impact on one restaurant, so the fact that I could do it for four restaurants was just incredible. I love it. Okay, we're going to do a quick speed round and then close out with a question. Okay. What did you have for dinner last night? Chili paneer. It's Indian Chinese chili paneer. I made that with Indian uh, chow mein noodles. Oh man, that sounds good. Name a smell in the kitchen you love. Curry leaves in hot oil. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Anything burnt. <laughs> <laughs> what pisses you off in a kitchen? Mies not being done. A mess in the kitchen just pisses me off because that means that your mind is not focused. What makes you happy in a kitchen? Having everything organized, you know, everything in small bowls, like everything. Yeah. Do you have a go-to snack in your pantry? I do. It's this. <laughs> what is that? Cornflake mixture. Is that like a trail mix? It's an Indian trail mix. It's a cornflakes mixture. It is so delicious. Is I was like salty? having that and tea. Yes, it's salty and it's so cool. I'll actually get your, I'll get your address. I'll send you one. I'm telling you, that'll be your go-to snack. Oh my God, I cannot wait. <laughs> Summer grilling season's upon us. Are you a griller? And if so, what's your favorite thing to put between a bun or a roll? I love grilling. What I love to put between a roll is kebabs. That's because, I mean, like burgers and all you can get, but kebabs you don't. So kebabs of any, like chicken, lamb, vegetable kebabs, like a portobello kebab, everything just spiced up and oh, so good. Love it. Love it. All right. Closing out here. You believe in the saying nothing ventured 
nothing gained. What haven't you ventured into that you want to? So many things. <laughs> so many things. You know, I had a couple of years back, I said that I'll do one thing in a year, which is so outside my realm of comfort. I mean, I did the local version of Dancing with the Stars and and believe you me, what I lack in grace, I make up in enthusiasm. And I won that. <laughs> like, But to me, Amazing. it is, it's, I, I really want the opportunity to travel more, travel and connect with people. I was in Peru a couple of years back and in a small place called Urumbamba. And I'm like, I'm going to the market. Everybody was jet lagging, walked into the market. Vivek found me an hour later making potato croquettes and selling potato croquettes with this old lady. I don't know Spanish or let's say my Spanish is not fit for polite company. And she didn't know English. But again, we connected. So to me, I think what is really on my bucket list is just to travel. I want to go to the spice markets of Morocco. I want to go to Egypt. I want to go to Japan. That is something that I really, I want to venture out and try all of these dishes and food and just, yeah, that's it. I love it. I'm ending it there, Mini. Thank you. I know kids have to be picked up and my kids probably have to be woken up and thank you for your time i appreciate it. i'm glad we were able to connect thank you this was so much fun yeah i love your passion and enthusiasm and what like your purpose is and why you do things and it's just amazing i'm excited to keep watching to see what's next fantastic make a trip to nashville i will soon i'm a, not far away yeah so. it's not a bad drive i i drive to chicago all the time so just let really? me, yeah okay. my sister and brother-in-law they are there so Amazing. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Chef Manit Chohan. Find more on her at manitchohan.com. To learn more about World Central Kitchen, go to wck.org. We'll share a link to those websites in the episode notes and at beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media at Cappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is also on social at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, Sean Petrosian. Our digital media producer is Sarah McClellan Me. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, special shout out to my wife, Katie. If you have a moment, we'd love and appreciate it if you could rate or review and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast to Beyond the Plate, brought to you by our friends at One Hope Wine. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.